This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 428. And the quote of the day is, don't let anyone make you be who you aren't. Stay true to yourself at all times, even when it's not trendy. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. Hey, hey, what's happening? This is Nick. This is Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm happy you're here. Thanks so much. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, you could be you could be doing something else with your time and you could be listening to someone else's podcast, but I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you listening to this. And this is a good one. I can guarantee you that. As you know, this podcast is always supported by great people and Dream Symbols has been supporting this podcast for a long time. If you're looking for a way to get some inexpensive symbols that sound amazing, check out Dream Symbols. I'm telling you right now, you will not regret it. Also, they have a recycling program. You can bring in your old crack symbols and trade them in for a new Dream Symbol or Gong. For every inch of symbol you bring in, you get a dollar off a new Dream Symbol or Gong. That's amazing. You bring in 320-inch symbols, that's $60 off a new Dream Symbol. Check them out by going to dreamsymbols.com. And I always ask that you please support the companies that support this podcast. All right, let's get to the goods. I got my man, Barry Kurtz from Shinedown. And this is an interesting conversation because Barry and I have never met. We don't know each other. We, you know, I'm sure we have mutual friends, but we've never run into each other. And I like conversations that develop or relationships that develop in real time. So I'm getting to know him as you're getting to know him listening to this episode. And before we got started, he was like, hey man, I'm an open book. We can talk about whatever you want and we can get into anything that you'd like, which I I thought was was super cool. And we do. We get into a lot of different topics about not only how he got started and how they started Shinedown, but how he was thinking about throwing in the towel, not playing drums anymore. So there's a lot of inspiration in there for that, some tactical advice. And and the conversation weaves the way that it normally does here on Drummer's Resource. But a really great conversation. I'm so glad that I got to know Barry. And now I'm hoping that we're going to be friends after this because he's a great dude. Uh, Had a great conversation with him. And I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Let's get into it with my man, Barry from Shinedown. Barry, what's happening, my man? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. So we're talking, uh, you're you're in Syracuse, right? And you said it's yes. un- ungodly hot, huh? It is. It's like 96 degrees outside. It's a, it's a brutal day for New Yorkers, I think. I can handle it being a Floridian, but I think for them, they're having a tough one out there. I was going to say, not only that, but you're used to, you get the humidity too. Like you, you understand yeah. humidity. Yeah, I thrive on it. I, I get angry when I end up out west for too long and it gets uh, too dry. Really? <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks I'm crazy. I mean, I might have to join them in thinking that. I don't know, because I, I just moved. <laughs> since I moved out here, my wife and I always talk about it and we're like, man, you know, it's hot, but it's 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 so stupid because everyone says it, but it's a dry heat. And I'm like, it's not that horrible. It's not no, that it's horrible. definitely tolerable. I just kind of tend to shrivel up like a raisin out there because I'm not used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The nighttime is what I don't like because it gets cool. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't want a 60 degree night in August. I want 85 and humid where like if you have your windows open, your, you know, your sheets are stuck to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how uh, so <laughs> So I want to get a little bit of a little bit of backstory for for you know you and I have have never spoken before we we don't know right. each other um, sure we have a ton of mutual friends but you and I have never had the had the pleasure of meeting until now and I want to build a little bit of context for the audience may not know a little bit about you you said you're from from where Panama City Florida I grew up in Panama City Florida went to college down in Orlando at UCF and then ended up in Jacksonville Florida where I still currently reside. I got you. An interesting thing about Panama City. This is how uh, how foolish I am. My brother was like, "Oh, I'm in I'm in Panama City." He used to go down and and visit his uh, his in laws, and I'm like, "Is Florida that close to Panama?" And he's like, <laughs> "He's like you." Re-, and I was like, "I was like 27 when I asked him." <laughs> That's funny because you and I are roughly the same age, so you remember spring break mtv panama city being a thing yeah i guess you know what man i guess i didn't realize it was panama city yeah like i remember yeah. spring break like you know which blows my mind it's like how how did they have a whole television show where we would just sit around and watch people dance at the beach uh because they were all in bikinis i think was the valid 
it was a valid point. And, and you'd always get the different weird bands playing on different stages. It was a, it was definitely a party, but being a local, we wouldn't go there. I was going to say, did you, was that like your thing or were you like, Oh no, we're not going to this? No, no. It's like Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I mean, you can go once and see it and go, wow, that was intense. And then after that, as a local, you just don't go. Uh, so did you ever play at it? No, I never played at it. I, um, played at La Vila, I think it was. There's two clubs, Spinnaker and La Vila, that I always mm-hmm. kind of hosted it. Um, I played at La Vila, but it wasn't during the spring break time. And that was early on with one of my cover bands when I was very young. Um, probably, I think I was 17, 18. Uh, I got you. Um, but I, I left Panama City at 17 to go to college. So. Right. Man, I can't. I, was, I wasn't can't. allowed in those places. I was still too young. Right. I can only imagine what it is like to have all those drunk college kids rolling into town and everyone's like, oh, shit, here we go. I'm yeah, sure. that's why they don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> town gets ruined, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you started playing? I was seven years old. I yeah. uh, um, was, you know, typical beat on pots and pans and everything else as a, as a young kid and I guess had a, a natural tendency to want to play drums. My grandmother at the time, she looked at me and she said, you remind me of my brother. And he was a jazz drummer and nobody famous. He just played in, in local circuits kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know him. She said, you remind me of your brother. You're going to be a drummer. So for my seventh birthday, I got a snare drum, one of those CB 700 kits with everything you need in it. And uh, immediately started playing and taking lessons and fell in love with it. And my folks said, you know, if you get good on the snare drum, learn rudiments, that kind of thing, uh, we'll talk about getting into a drum set. And I stuck with it for three years. I got my first drum set and finally got my first drum set when I was 10. Uh, Thomas, Swing Star, five piece, and uh, the rest is history. I just I always loved drums. What was it that initially attracted you to it? I, you know, it was the 80s. I think it was the big flamboyant drum sets and twirling sticks and drum solos from Motley Crue and all those kinds of things. It was the initial, initial thing. You'd see that and go, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. Right. Um, but it was also, I, I just, I hear music differently. I, in the band, we've even talked about it. You know, some guys listen to lyrics and melodies. Um, I can't even recite all the Shinedown lyrics. Uh, I listen to rhythm, bass and rhythm. It's always been something in me that attracted me. You know, the James Brown song came on. I'd immediately listen because the rhythms were so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it was. I've always been addicted to the rhythm and the, I guess, the rhythm section of music. So when you were growing up, though, what what kind of stuff were you listening to? Were you just sort of listening to what, whatever was playing at the mall or whatever was on the radio? No, I was lucky. I have an older brother who was a, a big music head. Such a, and so I talk that about helps. that. I talk about that all the. Sorry to interrupt you. I talk no, about that no. all the time because I had an older brother. Same deal. Like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So he introduced me to everything. Really, it was it was him. And then my dad had a record collection. My mom wasn't really into music that much. She had a couple things she enjoyed, but she didn't like loud noises. So everything had to be in the house, listened to. And now I'm a drummer, obviously. But <laughs> She's like, in the you house picked the perfect to... instrument. <laughs> exactly. Um, everything in the house had to be listened to on headphones for the most part or at low volume. And uh, so I'd listen to my dad's records on 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 headphones. And he'd have like Phil Collins and the Almond Brothers, that kind of stuff. And some mm-hmm. R&B and soul records. And then my brother was a Columbia house addict and it was all eighties metal and, and even into thrash metal and stuff like that. Then he introduced me into Metallica and into Iron Maiden, which was my first band crush was Iron Maiden just cause the, the visuals and then Nico, you know, played with a single pedal and that's all I could afford at the time. So I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I expanded because I had great teachers growing up in, in, in Panama city. Um, and, they expanded my knowledge into to jazz and into funk and things of that nature. And um, really I listened to everything at a very young age. You know, the interesting thing where you were saying this about playing jazz, playing funk, playing all these different styles, and maybe you can, maybe you can shed some light on this. It seems like if, if you play any other style, then like if you play jazz or funk or everything, everyone pretty much assumes that you sort of went through all of these other styles and learned jazz and funk and rock and all this other stuff. But if you play heavier music like you do it, I like, it seems like everyone just thinks, Oh, that's all you do. Yeah. Yeah. It is. that. Which I know is not the case for you. No, not the case for me. And maybe it is for some of the guys. Some guys are just, you know, self-taught and I want to play rock and roll. And that's cool too. I mean, if they make it to this level of playing, you know, I've been doing it professionally for, 20 something years now um, 
you've definitely worked hard on whatever that is. And I, you hone in on the style. You know, right. I'm a rock drummer, and I love being a rock drummer. I've played those other styles, but my jazz is not that good. <laughs> I don't swing well, but I try, and I always try to learn. I'm still constantly learning and taking lessons when I get an opportunity or talking to drummers like yourself and just talking drums and watching other guys. Um, I think it's good to have a wide base, but eventually you fall into a style that you love to play. I'm sure you have a certain style that you love to play, and that's what you gravitate towards. You'll play other things if asked, but mm-hmm. you gravitate towards one thing that you're into. So for you, it was you always gravitated more towards rock and heavier rock? Yeah, I've always been a heavy rock pocket type player. Um, right. You know, at home, I'll I'll play solos and stuff in my in my privacy, but it's not something I enjoy doing in the public or anything like that. Um, it's just not me. I'm more the you know just Jeff lay it Beccaro down kind of thing. Just lay down the pocket. When you were talking about solos, I was thinking about Jeff Picaro, and I remember watching an interview of him, and he was just saying, "I don't I don't know." He said, "I can't remember." ever doing a drum solo ever yeah which is yeah i mean I, which blows I my mind around, and that's it i don't i don't like to play solos i've had to do it once and that was very recent <laughs> we were playing in phoenix at arizona bike week and uh the pa went down we lost the generator <laughs> pa went down halfway through the show and we're sitting there and we're throwing out some sticks and picks to the crowd and trying to hand gesture just hold on we're gonna try to get this fixed and uh we're just walking around waiting and time starts going by, I think 10 minutes or so. And then the crowd starts chanting drum solo. Right. And I look at him and I shake my head. No, I'm not going to do it. And then my band guy said, you got to get out there and do something because these guys are, you know, it's bike. They're, they're hammered and want to have a good time. <laughs> right. And uh, so I went out there and played for a couple minutes and it was mortifying. Really? It's just not something I like to do. And it's not something that I had prepared. So it was just off the cuff and you know, it was fine. Whatever. I played a bunch of notes and mm. had a good time, but Internally, it was like a horror show for me. Why, why is that? Um, I don't think I like putting myself out there. I don't want to be the center of attention. I like backing my guys up. I like playing songs. I like creating that way and, and creating the emotion in that way. Not saying that drum solos can't create emotion, but when you're not prepared for it, right. or you don't have a mental picture of it, I think that's why it was mortifying because I never expected that I would have to. It's interesting that you would say that because you are like you're a driving force and you know the way that you play is very uh you're you're very confident in your playing and yeah. and I don't think that you're you know when I look at you playing drums I don't look at you as like some guy who's sitting in the corner saying like oh no no I don't want any not that I think that, <laughs> and not that I think that you're playing for attention but what I'm saying is you're you're an animated player and yeah, very much. and it's funny to hear you say that. I mean, what I'm guessing out of this is like you almost sound like you're an introvert more. Uh, yeah. The only time I'm an extrovert is when I'm up there on that stage. Right. Um, I tend to be the. I've always been the wallflower, the shy guy. Um, so it, and that's funny being you know yeah quote unquote a rock star, but um, that's only for the hour and a half or whatever that I'm on stage. Other yeah. That, I'm, you know, a normal job, though, which is a uh, I guess strange. Do you feel Sports like Do you feel like you get into a into a different persona when you walk on stage? Is it like a hundred percent for you? I think all of us do. Yeah. You know, cause we're normal people off stage. Everyone is every band. Right. Nobody's. So I guess some guys walk around, some guys, girls walk around like that 24 seven and that's just who they are. Right. But we're not, we're very, uh, very humble guys. All four of us. Mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing an interview with, uh, the bass player from fish and they were like, do you feel like a rock star? And he's like, yeah, I feel like a rock star on stage, but when I'm walking out of Walmart, I just feel like a regular dude walking out of Walmart. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Do you, do you feel, I mean, I guess it never, how, I mean, how do you handle it? Like when you're, when you're sort of just in public, uh, do you feel, I mean, do you get recognized a lot or? I do occasionally because of the hair. And if people know we're in town, that kind of thing. And at right. home, I get recognized just because when I go to my grocery store or Target or whatever, doing the shopping, people people know me by this time because I've lived there for so long. Right. But they, you know, I am humbled by when somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, man, can I take a picture? Or they go, hey, can I have an autograph? Um, or just want to talk to me for a second and tell me a story about you know how our band affected their life or one of our songs did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. And I'll take the time out because if it wasn't for that fan and all the fans that we have, I wouldn't be doing this job. 
So I count it as a blessing. I never get frustrated with that. Some days I'm having a bad day and don't want to do it. Sure. Right. But I'll still do it because that five minutes you take out of your day to say hi to somebody might change them and make them a fan for life. So Mm -hmm. I'll always do it. Sure. And I, I, and tell me if you, it sounds like you kind of feel the same way too, that I've never wanted to be famous, but, but the recognition sort of among your peers and among your, among your fans is nice. It's a nice thing to say, okay, I guess I'm doing the right thing here. It feels good. It really does. When somebody says they appreciate you for what you do, that's nice. You know, no matter what you do for a living, if somebody says, Hey man, good job, that feels good. Right. Um, so yeah, I like it. I, I don't mind the adoration. I think sometimes it can be overwhelming. You know, you mm-hmm. see people with your face and name tattooed on their body. It's like, Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That's intense. Yeah. But then again, they need that for themselves. You know, who am I to say any different, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that does feel good. Mm-hmm. It really does. I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine and, uh, his brother is famous and he's like, you know, we go on vacation and I'm out like with the kids hanging out mm-hmm. and my brother's in his hotel room. He can't leave his hotel room because he just gets, right. he, just, he gets mobbed. He, he's like, he can't go anywhere. That's, that is not a feeling of, uh, I don't, you know, I think that that has to get old really quickly. Yeah, that would be horrific. I think you can see why the superstars maybe go a little crazy or act or, lash out or maybe get into substance abuse and things like that because the superstars unlike myself and you can't go outside without you know the paparazzi and stuff and that's i think that'd be a tough life to live yeah that'd that'd be almost like being in jail i guess yeah right do do you know um uh shep gordon have you ever heard of him the the for the name i don't i don't know him personally he uh he managed alice cooper for i i have pretty much his whole career um and his thing he was a talent he was a talent manager and he told everyone, if I do my job successfully at a hundred percent, it'll kill you. Wow. Like if I get you as famous as we're trying to get you and I get you, you know, if, if we do everything right at a hundred percent, it'll kill you because you won't be able to handle it. And he That's said, he's intense. never seen anyone handle fame. Well, like re- like just insane amounts of fame never seen anyone handle it well. No, I think the people that wish for that and finally get it realize that it's a blessing and curse. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, it happens to my singer a lot where people corner him to the point and, and tell him these stories to the point that sometimes it affects him because they'll say, you know, you kept me from committing suicide. Your lyrics. And he knows that he wrote those and he knows what he wrote them about. And sometimes even that gets to you. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, what, what do I say to you? It's amazing. I'm glad you're still here. Um, but it, it weighs heavy sometimes, the responsibility of that. I'm sure. When when you guys were starting to, you know, starting your rise, did any of that get to your head? Like, did you get a little cocky or have a, get an ego a little bit? I'm sure we did. Yeah. It's hard not to, right? I'm, I'm sure we did. But I, we've always really kept each other in check and try to keep humble. We're a bunch of Southern boys whose right. moms would... Uh, definitely whoop our ass so um i am sure i have at moments <laughs> right. but <I'm> humble. <laughs> right and it'll it's you can get easily knocked back down right oh yeah and we <laughs> do it to each other with a quick second right right the uh, it, it reminds me of uh you were talking about how these people who wish for fame and things with lionel richie was talking about you know I always wanted to be famous. I always wanted to be this big, this big star. And I sold all these records. And that year I was the number one artist and everything. I'm at the top of the mountain. He's like, you know what's up there? Nothing. It's not any different. You know, you don't feel any different than, uh, than you do, you know, when you're, when you're not selling any records. Now you just have a little bit more money or whatever it is. So. Right. And I wonder if when you get to that level, if you go, I've got nothing still, you know, or, or I feel nothing. What makes you want to go on to do the next one? Yeah. You know? yep. Okay, I got here. Now what? Yeah. At least with drumming, <laughs> we never arrive, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're always going to be a support act. <laughs> right. Well, or not even that, but you're never just going to be like, okay, I won drum. I, like, I finished all the stuff I need to learn about drumming. So what do I do now? Yeah. It's not going to be there. I mean, there's always something to learn. I, it, I find it overwhelming now, all the material that's out there to, to the point when I go to practice, I'm like, what do I practice now? Right. Right. How uh, 
how have things changed for you from a drumming perspective looking back at like you know what 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 have you learned now that maybe you didn't realize back in the day or some things that you you thought may be the case that are different now with whether it be playing or development and and all that sort of stuff sure i think the one of the biggest lessons i've learned in playing over the years is less is more mm-hmm. and play like charlie watts in this style of music um and i think in any style of music you see some of these uh you know pretty heavy thrash style metal bands as they grow as a band look at metallica it becomes more songs and it might not be as fast and frantic but the song and the feel is more there um I think humility in your craft, you know, when you're making a record, when you're in the studio, great studio players, session players, and I'm not putting myself in one of those, though I've been successful in the studio with Shinedown, um, less is more. They play pretty simple and less asked to do something else mm-hmm. because you're supporting the song. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is it's not about that cool lick you pulled off. Right. Um, it's, it's about the song. The thing is, everyone says that, right? Every or everyone knows that. I know right. it. You know it. Everyone knows it. Why do we still have to talk about that? Because the young drummers out there want to play fast and look at me, and they do that, and then when they get into a professional situation, they don't get the gig, right? Uh, and then they learn, and then you finally learn it. And it happened to you, I'm sure. It happened to me. Look at me, look at the school stuff I can play, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not what they're looking for. Yeah. Was there, was there someone or a situation that made you quickly get out of that mindset? I know there was for me. I started playing with all older guys, and I walked off stage, and they were like, don't ever play like that again. I, like, uh, I think for me it was first time professionally in a studio. and uh, Which is like tried. a magnifying glass. Yeah, and here I am, I'm think I'm prepared, which I wasn't, um, went in to play the songs. And this was with a, a local band that I had in, in Orlando at the time, but I was not their original drummer. I had to come into the situation and they recorded their second record and, uh, went in there to play all my cool stuff. And the producer who happened to be the guitar player as well, stopped me and said, no, nah, you're not going to do that on my record. <laughs> and I quickly learned there that, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? You don't like all these licks? <laughs> yeah, you don't like these fast Tom fills on a, a slow ballad, right? <laughs> you know, I I had this conversation yesterday uh, on another podcast, and we were talking about this idea of sort of the the Instagram sort of culture. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast, so I'm sure that the listeners are like, "Oh, here we go." But my thing is that most of the people that I see who are playing all that stuff you know, on mm-hmm. Instagram and YouTube and all that have never played a gig. Yeah. Like they've never played a gig and they're like, Oh, come, you know, talk to me about lessons and this and that. And I'm like, you, but you, you've never played a gig. It's not, yeah. it's you've never done like, this. You've got great chops, but yeah, that stuff just, it impresses me in the fact that I'm like, wow, you can do that. I can't do that, but that's cool. Um, now play me a groove and show me how you're going to do that. And then a large arena setting. Right. You know, um, the weird thing clubs. is a lot of kids don't want to do that anymore. They're like, I just want to be a YouTube drummer. Like, do you think yeah. that there's, do you think that there's like another, there's another industry? I call it the difference between the drum business and the music business. Sure. And I think you're right. And I think there are two separate things because they get so many followers that they get advertisers and they do make, make money off of that. Right. Um, and that's cool. That's what you want to be. You want to strive to play on Instagram, do that. Um, I think I just strove, strove for different things. And we're a different generation, let's face it. You and I are around the same age. Um, that Instagram, YouTube sensation generation isn't our generation. Right. So they do it, but I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But I do watch some of it, so maybe there's <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I'm not, yeah, I'm not knocking it. And so, I mean, I watch so many people play and I'm like, I'll never, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah, so, uh, you know. I, and and I, don't, I find something cool in that. I think it be, drumming has become, on that side, more of a sport than it has a musical thing sure. in some aspects. You know, back in you know the mid-90s when they were doing the world's fastest drummer competitions all through the guitar centers and Sam Ashes, you know, it was all about how fast you can go, not about playing. Right. And a lot of those 
people that won that aren't really necessarily good players. They just can play fast. Mm-hmm. Yep. I see a lot of now is just, wow, that was fast, really fast. But was it anything more than just fast? Yeah. And I, I'm not, I don't want to sound like some like bitter old dude. That's no, like, absolutely. Ah, that's not. Re- I I think it's cool as shit. Like I dig it. It's amazing. It's amazing to see some of that. Um, but is that that's a different side of drumming? That's that other side of drumming that maybe you and I don't gravitate towards in our own play. Right, and I think that it's I think that it's dangerous for people to confuse the two. Yeah. To think, I guess, yeah. you know, oh, I'm a I you know. I work in the music business or I'm a, I'm a professional drummer and it's like, yeah, you're a professional, maybe you're a professional drummer, but you're not a professional musician. Right. They're two different things. And I think, and I think some of those guys that can cross and mix those, that's how they become so successful. Right. Right. Some of those players that can do all of that have taken it into modern music and made a whole, both of those careers. Yeah. I talk a lot about Nate Smith doing that. Like, like the Absolutely. dude is a monster like and he like i'd put him toe-to-toe with like any quote-unquote instagram drummer and then Absolutely. he can go in and play a gig and swing his ass off and like just totally destroy the gig he is the ultimate student of drums yeah the ultimate student of drums yeah he's done it all and still continues to learn now you know now he's been going to india and learning that style of drumming he is he is impressive his drive and his um i think more so his um the word I'm looking for, not tenacity, but his discipline mm-hmm. to sit and practice and get to all of those levels. I don't know that I have that discipline. I love to play drums, but I haven't forced myself to practice in a way that that man has. Yeah. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. For all you hard hitters out there, I recommend checking out Promark's Fire Grain Drumsticks. These drumsticks utilize revolutionary heat tempering processes that transform ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Keeping their original weight, balance, and feel, Promark Fire Grain Sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. No excess vibration, no space-aged gimmicks, just natural hickory hardened by flame. Best part is they're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a wide variety of sizes. You can check them out and learn more by going to promark.com. Let's get back into it with Barry from Shinedown. I'm curious how the whole, how Shinedown came together. And I'm sure that you've talked about this before, maybe not sure. in, in a drumming context. I think, because I think it's interesting for the listeners to know, one, how bands come together, but two, as we're drummers, so we're, we're side men and women. Right. And I think the biggest mistake that we make as drummers is we sit around and just wait for the opportunity to happen. Wait for the phone to ring, wait for people to tell us when we're going to work, wait for people to tell us when we're going to get there, what time we're going to leave, what songs we're going to play. And if we take control of our career, then we can call all the shots if we want to. So I'm interested on in how this whole thing came together and then also the the sort of inner workings and the dynamics of the band. Sure. I, you know, I had gotten to probably to that place where it was like I was just waiting on the phone call because uh, in Orlando, while I was in college and after I graduated college, because I, I played in marching bands and everything and did the student of drums in school up through my first two years of college. I, I played, I marched, I did the whole thing. And then I kind of got disillusioned with the percussion programs. That's just not... They didn't have a really big drum set. It was more mm-hmm. symphonic marching, and I, I was bored with that. It's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to play drum set. So I got away from that, and I started forming bands or getting into bands. And Orlando had a pretty, and might still, I don't know, but had a pretty booming music scene at that time. We're talking uh, mid mid to late nineties. So I had a couple bands, two or three, that I would play in, and you know, I'd go out and play the clubs, and then I work my day job and do that whole thing. And I was really motivated, but nothing ever took off. Hey, the label reps here. Nope, you're not going to get signed. Nope, you're not going to get signed. Nope. And I was like, well, I'm um, in my mid-20s at this point, and 
girlfriend I have, who is now my wife, but my girlfriend at the time, who we were serious. And uh, I got a job offer up in Jacksonville, Florida. And my brother lived in Jacksonville at the time. He's a radio DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, he lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And I was like, you know what? Let's move. I, I wanted to get out of Orlando. Nothing was working out there. Like a, uh, a playing job or, or like a nine to five? No, no. It was actually, I, it was a, a real job, but I was like, hey, I'm getting <laughs> a out real job. Maybe, maybe I need to settle down instead of playing. You know what I mean? But what you're doing I, is a real job. <laughs> yes, a standard job. I guess. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nine to fiver. Um, I, I was cleaning lakes for the state of Florida. It was a biology job because I had some basic chemistry. I ended up graduating college with an anthropology degree, but I was going to go for forensic anthropology because I had always promised my folks that I would have the quote unquote backup plan. Right. You have to have something else. You have to be at, I'm like, well, I want to play drums, but yeah, you have to, you know, I said, okay, I will. I promised you I will. And I went mm-hmm. through with it. Um, so I moved up there and I was doing this job and it was cool. Um, I enjoyed it because you're out in nature at a boat and got to see gators and snakes and wild things. Oh my. Um, and I put drums on the back burner. I like, ah, I don't know. I just kind of packed them in the closet and was like, I'm not sure I'm going to do this. Um, Talk to me about that for a minute. Sure. Like, what were you, were you okay with it or no, were you, I think I wanted to tell myself I was okay with it. Mm, I wasn't okay with it, but I also at the time, you know, it was a small apartment. I had nowhere to play drums. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just moved up there. It was one of those things. Cause I'd only been there uh, a few months before my brother calls me and says, Hey man, there's a kid named Brent Smith. He's here recording some demos they're looking for a drummer. I think you'd really like his voice. Here's the, uh, here's his demos. Gave him to me. I heard his voice and I went, wow, this guy's amazing. Gave him a call, went and auditioned. I was the seventh drummer to audition for them. And, uh, <clears throat> my audition pieces or the songs they gave me to play were 45 and lacerated, which were both on the first record. Mm-hmm. Um, we went and rehearsed together, played them. They're like, yeah, we like, we like your vibe. Let's hang out. And uh, we want you to go ahead and we're going to record these demos in the studio. Uh, bring your stuff tomorrow and we'll record in Ahsoka. I showed up and they were wondering if I could record or if I get red light fever. And so I went in, played 45 and lacerated. They said, yep, you got the job. Nice. Awesome. Let's do this. And it ended up that version of 45, that demo version with my uh, old Tama Star Classic Performer kit. Um, made the record. We ended up re-recording in LA when we were recording the, the actual record. Right. We did this grandiose version of 45, but it didn't have the vibe of that demo, vocally or musically. Huh. So we ended up putting the demo version on the record. So that, and the demos were just a shop? No, I mean, they were full done. Yeah. Um, we've always done our demos pretty full out. So, But that version you hear on the first record was my audition piece. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm you're like, all right, well, I guess I should quit. I mean, well, what was the status of the band then when you were when you were recording with them? It was Brent was under a development deal with Atlantic Records. He had been signed to Atlantic Records before with another band that got shelved. Never saw the light of day. Okay. But they kept on to him and put him in a development deal. So he was going around. That's how he ended up in Jacksonville, writing and recording, making demos, and trying to find a band because he never wanted to be a solo artist. He always wanted to have a band. And then he found his band in Jacksonville. And the four of us then made enough demos, got signed back to Atlantic, and they sent an office off to LA to record the first record. Hmm. So I want to I want to unpack this idea of one you not playing drums, and then mm-hmm. for lack of a better words, this opportunity sort of falling in your lap. So right. because I think a lot of people are going to say, "Oh yeah, it's easy for you to say," you know, this this opportunity just fell in your lap. One, I don't necessarily think that's the case because one, you were prepared for it. Two, yeah, I think that things tend to manifest themselves, and this is going to get a little, you know, a little out there. But I think that if you, I think that you manifest things that that you think about and that you want in your life, and I think those things find you. Um, I agree with that. So, first of all, how long were you not playing? Only a few months. Okay. And what, and what advice do you have for people, and this may be hard, but what advice do you have for people who are maybe at that crossroads where they're considering maybe giving it up because they got to go get a full-time job or they're, you know, right. 
they're because life starts to happen, right? Yeah, you get older, you maybe find somebody, you get married, kids, all that kind of stuff. Life happens, and, and it's not like a normal <laughs> career where where you know, okay, everyone knows the first five years of whatever career is hard, but after you get through those five, it's like being a lawyer, right? After the five years, then you really start to make some money, and you'll be fine. It's not that it way is, in music, but it's like I guess a standard job, um, doing what we do for a living, the the paychecks are very inconsistent, and that right. can be very scary and worrisome. Um, hey, am I going to make my nut for this month, you know. Um, I think that's kind of where I got at, but you know, I think in any career, even if you're being successful at it, sometimes you have doubts or you get disillusioned or you get frustrated. You kind of put it to the wayside for a minute or you kind of maybe don't move forward and you've got to push through that. And I think that's what happened to me. It was at the point where I wanted to settle down with my now wife. I wanted to started creating that life. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I need to do something more consistent. And I was right. wrong. Um, I needed to follow my passion and what I love. And then when I finally got that opportunity and completely jumped on it, it worked because I put my full whole heart into it. Right. Um, and I think that's what you have to do with anything is put your whole body, mind, soul into it. And I was lucky enough that my wife supports it as well. and still does to this day. Right. Um, which is pretty cool because it's not easy on her. You know, she basically lives a single mom life uh, for a lot of the time when I'm touring. So um, I believe you're correct in saying that your intentions manifest what you want and you have to have the, the, the correct intentions. You know, you don't, I never looked at it as, Hey, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's why I want to get into this. Um, that's never been my motive. I've never wanted to be that guy. I got into this because of the love of playing. Mm -hmm. And once I finally committed to that, I still love playing. I still love playing with my guys. I still love doing shows. We still get along. Um, but it, it takes work. It takes a yeah. lot of hard work. Yeah, I yeah. think the more you do this career and the, the older you get in this career, it takes even more hard work. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, thinking about when you guys, when you sign a record deal, it's like everyone mm -hmm. thinks that's when you've made it. It's like, no, 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 no. That's when the work begins. That's just the beginning, yeah. And I you know that's funny you say that. Getting into this, I thought it'd be a lot easier, but it really, truly is. Interesting. The amount of work you have to put in to be in a successful band, um, stay successful and grow, you know, because we've been a band for almost 20 years now, and it wasn't overnight. It was very slow growth, and we still have a lot more growing to do. Mm -hmm. and we haven't hit a pinnacle but I like that it's been a slow growth because I think sometimes if you shoot at the top right away, you fall just as quickly. Right. Um, but I had no idea, you know, then you have to get into the business side of things. You have business managers, you have your manager, you have a label to deal with, you have all of those other things that we really didn't know much about and had to learn on the fly really quick. Mm -hmm. And it is a business. You're musicians and you're creating art, but in order to succeed in this, there's a business side too that you got to become educated in and savvy with right like russ miller says they don't call it the music hang out with your friends they call it the music business exactly, exactly. What, what were some of the things that you found to be harder than you anticipated the, was it the business side of things and dealing with managers and you know booking touring you know booking tours and all that kind of stuff it was that that was daunting luckily we have a pretty good team around us they, they were good to us they didn't you know you hear the horror stories of being basically stolen from Right. We never had to live any of those. You know, there was times we were upside down and there was times where maybe we made bad choices and spent too much on production and then we were upside down and like, oh, wait, maybe we didn't pay ourselves and we're going to be off for the next six months. We've made those mistakes. Um, <laughs> you only you make learn, that mistake once. <laughs> exactly. Or the tax man comes and says, you owe this much and you didn't put enough aside. Right. Um, but I think the day in, day out... Um, everyday monotony mm -hmm. became very difficult at times. Yeah, It was hard to get used to that. Oh, look, it's another club and we're in the back of the club and we got a show, meet and greet. It's, it becomes Groundhog's Day yep. every day. And you learn, you know, instead of going to the bottle or doing drugs, which as I've seen time and time again, you got to find something to occupy your time, whether it's reading, trying to get out in the city, 
photography because you can't play drums all day long, can't play your instrument all day long. You're in a hotel room or you're on your bus. You have to find something else to occupy yourself. And I think that's what sometimes out here leads to bad choices mm-hmm. when you got to find something else. Yeah. And touring is so much harder than people think it is. And they think it's just going to be like this great thing and you get on the bus it's going to be a party it's going to be amazing you're going to make tons of money screaming fans and everything and it's like after you're three weeks in you're like fuck this is really boring because i'm only playing you know maybe if you're lucky 90 minutes a night yes it is it is torturous and it's not you can just sit and practice all day long either right you you might not if you're doing it on a club circuit you don't have a facility you got a practice pad to warm up on and even now at this level yeah i have a uh the practice kit I can practice on, but do I have the time to do that? There's interviews, there's meet and greets, there's everything else. I don't have time to practice till I get time at home. Right. Up here, it's warm up, play a show, warm up, play a show. And uh, I didn't realize that. I thought, oh, it's going to be easy. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a 24-7 party. That's the hardest thing is over the years, I've made friends in all these different states and, and countries and everything else, and they always want to come out or I have family wants to come out and for them it's they got a night off from the kids they're coming out to get drunk and have a great time right uh i'm still working yeah yeah i don't go to your job drunk and hang out and watch you (laughs) do whatever you do Uh, that gets frustrating sometimes uh or you get the uh we call them family not you know the people i knew when i was in seventh grade that all of a sudden say hey remember me yeah yeah yeah. and i get myself and 12 people into the show yeah (laughs) And you're like, who are you again? We did what? Didn't you bully me in high school? Yeah. Yeah. Those are always fun. <laughs> hey, man, we were cool, weren't we? No, we weren't, actually. You were an asshole no, to me. You were me. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, this is like. But those are, you know, first world problems, really. I mean, of course. I can't complain about anything. Of course. Yeah, I was thinking, I was sitting, I was backstage, this is like a total douchey name drop thing, but this is not the point of the story, but I did a, I did a episode with Chad Smith and we were uh, uh-huh. the Wells Fargo Center in Philly and we were backstage in like, sort of like this friends and family area and, sure. and it's huge. It's like this big, uh, like, I mean, it's a, it's actually a bar during like when there's basketball games and stuff like that. So it's a big area and there's sure. only a couple people back there and Chad's son was back there because he goes to Drexel, which is in Philadelphia and there's only a couple other people and Chad comes in. He's like, Hey, what's up? You know, whatever. And then he's just kind of like sitting there and the bar's like half lit because it's not really open. They just have like a couple coolers in there with, with some beers and, and a little bit of food. Sure. And I'm just looking and I'm like, man, he's been doing this since like 1989. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I know he loves being on stage playing. I know he loves what he does for a living, but this every day sitting in these rooms every single day, I'm like, this shit is depressing. It is, you know? And I'm like, and it's just like another show, another group of people, another, and I don't mean to sound, I'm not being negative about it. It's just, no, it's, it's the realities of, of being on the road and it is not as glamorous as every, I mean, and I haven't toured at that level at the stadium level or anything like that, but I, I mean, right. I've done some serious touring and it's, it's brutal. It's man. tough. It's daunting. You know, it's like I said, they were on tour for like two and a half years. Yeah. This year I will be home a total of 35 days. That's it. Wow. And wow. it's awesome. Yeah, I'm seeing the world. But most of the, what I see is the backstage. Right. The venue. Um, you know, on a day off, I try to go explore and see something. But you're also tired on a day off. Yeah. We'll do three on day off, three on day off, two on day off, and so on. You're pretty tired. Yep. Um, so you stay in your hotel room and you go find some food. And then you're like, ah, all right, do it again <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> right. And I think people don't realize, too, it's like you're sitting – you know, most of these times you're sitting on a folding chair in a locker room. Or I am actually sitting on a folding chair in a locker room See? right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. And then and it's like, and I gotta do this, you know, this shitty interview. <laughs> actually I was looking forward to this one. I don't really get many interviews that often unless it's a local paper or something like that. So I, was, well, I appreciate I'm, you. I'm excited it, to be here with you talking drums and touring and all that stuff. This for me takes away from the, the monotony of the day. This right. is, this is a fun thing. This is one of those rare breaks from the radio meet and greet 
Shinedown Nation meet and greet show schedule. This right. is this is fun. I'm excited. Right. And I, I want to, and I don't want to speak for you, but I just want to make sure that everyone knows that we are not sitting here complaining or saying it's a, it's a horrible not. existence. No, I, I think we're just saying the reality of, hey, it's not all the glamorous life you see on TV. Right. It's, and I want to make people aware of that. So they're, you know, when they're striving to do touring and all that, like everyone's like, I want to go on tour. I want to go on tour. I want to go on tour. And a lot of times guys get into it and they're like, man, like Mike Johnston, for example. Mm-hmm. He was like, I, he was in, he, he calls the band, uh, rage against the corn tones. <laughs> Cause he was like, it was just one of those, like, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, like metal sort of whatever heavy rock bands or rap whatever. metal things. Yeah. Yeah. And, but he was, you know, they toured and they were, they were a big band and they played him, you know, they were, it was a full on tour and, and, sure. uh, he was like, I just, I don't like touring. And yeah, some people don't. I've brought people out on the road. Like my first drum tech was a kid I hired into. I was managing Mars Music. I hired him into the department. And uh, so we stayed friends after that. And I've always been friends. He's a fellow drummer as well. And I hired him to be my first drum tech. He lasted six months before he's like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going home. Huh. You know, I think you're either made for the road or you're not. And I th- I've seen people come out here that maybe on a lighting crew or something like that. And this is their first tour. Um, and they're, they get out here and they're like, no, I can't. And they go home. They just can't handle it. Because right. it's, it is a, a difficult life in some respects. And I think that's kind of what I want your listeners to understand is I'm not complaining because I love this life and I've done it this long. And if I'm going to continue doing it, you better love this life. And I do, but it's not always easy. Right. All right. You're not going to be home. You're going to be away from your family. There's a you know, the monotony to it. It's also, you know, finding other things to do. You're in a different place every day. Uh, you know, you're eating out a lot, which isn't fun after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things. But the good side is you get to go on that stage every night and play what you love. Right. Yep. And all once you step on stage, you forget about all that monotony very quickly. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting that I I am sort of an advocate for, you know, doing whatever makes you happy and especially living up to your own sort of standards and not everyone else. So, like, I always talk about changing the narrative of what it means to be a successful drummer. So, like, you sure. don't have to be playing in front of 30,000 people every night to be a successful drummer, right? No. And, and honestly, I think that you can still have as much happiness Working a day job that really provides for your family and playing on the weekends and playing like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're home, you're making money, you still get those 90 minutes on stage. You like Mm -hmm. you're getting all the pros and you're avoiding some of the cons of like not seeing family, being on the road all the time, having all this monotony, all that stuff. So I'm like that monotony that you may have during your nine to five, you're going to have that on the road either way. So like. If it doesn't, if it doesn't line up that you can be touring like you are, you know, 330 days a year, then, Mm -hmm. then, you know, why there's nothing wrong with going and working and playing. No, you're still a drummer and you're still doing it by the passion of drumming. Right. Um, And you still get to love what you do. Um, And there's something to be said for that. I mean, like you mentioned, Mike Johnston, he has made a career out of being a teacher. Yeah. And he gets to be home and occasionally he travels and does clinics and stuff. So he still gets to travel and do drumming outside of that environment. But he, he has made a great career, a wonderful career at home. And there's a, quite a few drummers out there that have done that. Mm-hmm. And that's cool too. You know, yeah. if you're good at educating and being a teacher and want to do that professionally, you can. Don Famularo. You know, yeah. there's, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, and I think that's cool. I'm not a great educator. I've given lessons before. But I'm not really good at it. Me I neither. Probably, I'm good at it if I wanted to try, but I'm not good at de- delineating that material to make that student better all the time. I can right. give them material, but to really hone their material and hone their hands, that's a special ability that people like Mike have and Don Pemulano, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, I think you need to be able to see something that other people don't, right? You need to be able to see what's yeah. going on understanding where the breakdown is, understanding what they need to do to get to fix it and, and putting a plan together for them to do that. And 
that's something that goes over my head. I'm not, I'm not good at that. Yeah. I'm not good at it either. Uh, Thomas Lane, he's another one. Mm -hmm. Great educator. He does those camps and everything else. And he's a funny guy. Um, Anna Canals, she started to build a career off that. And I've watched some of her teaching and she just did a camp and I was watching some videos of her teaching. She's a good teacher, really good. And a great drummer as well. Right. Yep. I think that you got to choose your own course, man. You know, absolutely. Go with what you've, what you know in your heart is what you want to do. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes you, you get scared and don't do it or you defeat yourself and don't do it. I think you just got to go, man, I, I, this is what I love. Let's go do it. Right. 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 So what about you now for the, for the future? What's on tap for, for you moving forward? Well, uh, tour, tour and more touring at the moment. We just released, uh, attention, attention, which mm-hmm. is our, uh, six studio album. And it's doing well, but we're in the middle of the touring cycle. So right now we're on tour. We're doing a co-headlining with Godsmack, which is great because I get to watch Shannon Larkin every night, and he's a fantastic drummer. Um, and then uh, we take a small break here. We get a week, week and a half, uh, starting Monday. Get a week and a half off at home. Then we come back out, do this tour some more. Then late October, we head over to the UK and Europe. We tour there until December 9th, I believe. We do. We end in Russia. I think we do like four dates in Russia. We end there. Come back home for the holidays. Then we do three dates at House Blues Orlando. We're doing uh, 27th, 28th, 29th, I think it is. Um, and we're going to do some cool special stuff there um, for the fans because it's smaller. You know, it's, a, it's House Blues. I think it was like 2,000 people. Nice. Um, so we're going to do some cool special events. It's kind of like a ramp up to the new year. And then uh, we'll take January off and start all over again in February. Jeez. So no rest for the weary, but again, I love what I do. Yeah. And and Europe is fun, man. You know, Europe's great. It's such a total different vibe. (laughs) What's that? I said that time of year is kind of hard because it's so dark. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You miss the sun, especially being a Floridian. I love sunlight. So they, they can kind of become depressing over there in that way, but it's so cool. There's so much to see that, you know, we just don't have that much of a visual history here right. in the States. Um, it's really, I love going over there. It's so amazing. Like you said, the visual history, like you're, you know, I brought uh, buddies of mine. I have a house in Italy. So we went, we were going through Rome Funny. and, uh, you know, we're, I'm talking to them and I'm like, this stuff is 2000 years old. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing even close to that in the United States. Yeah. No, all of our visual history is gone because it was the Native Americans and they didn't build stone structures. Right. You know, we, there's a there's mounds you can go visit now. Right. And that's cool, but it's not like Europe. Yeah. It's not. It's absolutely and plus the vibe, like the fan the fan vibe is, is just it's Yeah, it's, it's a total different. different vibe. Yeah. It's different per country, it's different you know, the UK is totally different than Europe and Germany. Mm-hmm. Russia's amazing. Yeah. It's such a different place, but the fans are gracious. Yeah. And it's fun. And then you get to Japan and that's a whole nother thing. That's cool, but just different. I've never, we've only been there a couple times, but the weirdest thing to me that I saw in Japan was not only, it was the respect level of the people, but they opened doors to this club we were playing and our dressing room was kind of on a balcony overlooking the floor and they opened doors and everybody came in quickly, but they just made single file lines front of the stage, next line, next line. They didn't push, they didn't shove, they didn't try to beat each other up to get to the front of the stage. They just came in there, and they're all cool. Then we played the show, and you play the show, the song, and the song went in, and they clap, and then stop and wait for the next song. <laughs> it was so, it was mind-blowing. They were having a great time, but it was just this different cultural thing, and it was yeah. really neat. I love seeing that all over the world. The, the interesting thing that I always think about with a lot of the overseas fans is that they have it's it's to me it seems more like a respect and admiration for the art and over here i think everyone's just infatuated with fame right so they're just like they're on the stage so they have to like i have to worship them and it's not that it's less about the music in the united states i don't i don't want to say that because people are going to ridicule me and i'll be getting hate mail but (laughs) <laughs> but what I mean, like, but over it's there, it's an event over here. They go out to have a good time and release. Here. Right, right. And over there, over there it's over like, there. listen. Yeah. Yep. They're like, we're, the- we want to check out the art and like, we are here and we yeah. respect them. I think you get a lot more respect as an artist in other countries. 
I think you do. And, and, and also, if, say, you had a bad show or a bad night or your vocalist was off, they'll be the first ones to tell you afterwards. You know, yeah. <laughs> they'll be yeah. by your bus waiting and they go, yeah, it wasn't that good, but we'll come back next time. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, yeah, everybody has bad nights. a little right? off on that song. Uh, can you sign my CD? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I meant to tell you, I think you dropped a stick. Uh, 30 yeah. Songs. yeah. <laughs> but I like that. At least they're being honest with you. And you they're know? paying attention. Yeah. They're listening. They, those crowds listen. And the other cool thing I think over there that's different from here, and I, again, I'm not dogging it here because I love playing here too, and I'm a proud American, but um, the other difference with European crowds is they're more open to listening to different styles of music. You Say know? that again? They're more open to listening to listening to different styles of music. Yeah. You know, over there you play a festival and you're going to have Katy Perry on one stage, Slayer on another stage, and us on that stage. And they're all listening to each other. It's not a big deal. Right. Over here you t- kind of, oh, I'm a hip-hop fan. I'm a rock fan. And you, you put on these blinders, um, I think, until maybe you get a little bit older or you're a musician like ourselves and, and try to bury yourself. But as a, just a standard fan, I'm a rock fan and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sad, but that's just the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think we I think we do that as as musicians too. I think we do it as drummers a lot. We compartmentalize everything, and they're like, "No, I just play rock. I just play jazz. I just do this. I just do that." Uh, Which I think is, you know, I think that's shooting ourselves in the foot. It is, and and I think when you start off, you're that way. Um, If you're lucky enough to take lessons or have a good teacher, I think that's when your your mind gets blown and you can get expanded into other forms of music. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how it happened for me. You know, all I wanted to do was play metal growing up, except that I had great teachers that said, Hey, check this out. This is actually really cool. And then I went, Oh wow, that is cool. Yeah. You need someone to once in a while to just open up that door for you too, like the older yeah. brother thing or something. Just say, Hey, check, check this out. This thing, this thing's kind exactly. of, cool. you know, get out of your, uh, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe in the, Oh, that's my guilty pleasure thing that you're kind of embarrassed of listening to. <laughs> right. It's a good song. It's a good song. You know, I'll be at home partying, listening to pink with my daughter. Cause it's good music. Right. Right. There's a reason she sells out arenas. It's of good. Course. All right. So who do you listen to that people would be surprised that you listen to? Uh, pink. Um, let's see. Uh, man, I listen to everything. If it's good. I'll, I'll listen to hip hop. I'll listen to you know, my daughter's big into this guy, pink and, and, uh, Taylor Swift and the, mm-hmm. um, all those things. So I'll listen to it and I find joy in it. Yeah. It's great. Um, I listen to a lot of for myself because I play rock all day long. So I don't want to listen to rock all the time. I still do, but that's not always where I want to go. I want to listen to something different. So I do a lot of female fronted kind of pop stuff. I, not more like a, there's a Canadian girl named Lights. There's another one named Banks. Um, I listen to that kind of stuff where it's kind of programmed electronic with some other stuff in there. Um, I enjoy that. Nice. Got to keep it different, man. Absolutely. Got to keep and it I'll, I'll get into my old stuff. You know, I'll start listening back to the police and listen to some jazz and those, those kinds of things. Because in a hotel room, I don't want dead silence. So I'll put on something that's nice and chill while I'm hanging out by myself. Yeah, yeah, Of course. Well, Barry, I want to uh, – I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um but I appreciate you sitting down to chat with me, man. I this Thanks honestly, for inviting me. This is cool. I had a great time. Likewise. I appreciate you hey, sharing on all, you know, the all your success as well. This is a, it's pretty cool. You're another drummer that's gone just a different path, which is neat. Well, thank you. And I will say though that this thing this would be nothing if guys like you didn't sit down to, you know, spend an hour talking. So I appreciate you for for doing that without you, without the listeners, like I'm just the conduit. I'm just the guy in the middle. So I appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, but you make it interesting. You have questions that make it. I think what's cool about your premise is you're not just talking drums. You're talking about drummers' lives, and that's neat. Well, thanks, man. I I've always wanted it to be that way. So it seems like seems like it's working so far. So <laughs> good. So, but I appreciate you, man. Safe travels out there. Congratulations on all your success. Continued success. Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, and yeah, man, break a leg tonight. I will. Thanks. Thank all you right. to you and all the listeners out there. Thanks. This is uh, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Barry. Take care.
All right, that was Barry Kirk from Shine Down. I hope that you dug it, and like I said, it was a cool conversation, man. I really, I just, I love talking to people about drums and career and and life, and I appreciate the fact that you love listening to it. So, thanks for being here. You can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session four two eight. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be talking to you soon. Peace.